Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, good morning, Imago Day. My name is Ben Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a sunny day outside. It's spring break for some of us. Um, not so much for me anymore. I, I'm reminded that I'm getting older and spring break was a long time ago that I got spring break. Um, we're get, I'm getting older. My son yesterday, he, Adric, he's five years old and he said, Papa, will you play trains with me? And I said, sure, buddy. And uh, he handed me this train. It was the Thomas the Tank Engine train. He said, Papa, you get to be this one because it's old and kind of run down just like you. <laughs> I was like, thanks, pal. No spring break and I'm old and run down. Um, Well, I'm glad that you came and and joined us and you're with us today. Over the last few weeks, we've been going through a series called the Becoming Series, looking at what does it look like for us to really know ourselves in order to really be known by God, to know God and know what we need. That sometimes we have to go back in our lives and look at things that are painful in order to move forward, allowing ourselves to be formed out of the brokenness in our stories. And last week, Chelsea preached on lament as we looked at the idea of grief. The idea that we can be honest with God. That we can call to God and say, God, why? I don't understand. That we can be honest with Him with our lives and that we can go to Him in prayer and we can praise Him even amidst our trials. Even if we believe in Jesus and know that when times are tough, which they are often, we may be in those times right now, we may recognize, I, I believe Jesus, I believe God's there, but man, sometimes in those, in those moments, it's really hard for me to understand what that looks like, what it looks like to receive comfort. Some of the most painful times in my life have been, have been around things that I, know, I don't know how to lament, and that I don't understand, especially in the moment. Times when I was younger where I was facing abuse and trying to understand, trying to wrap my mind around God, where are you right now? I don't feel you. I don't feel your presence. And I'm scared and I, I don't really understand what's going on. How are you with me? How in the world are you supposed to comfort me in this? And maybe you've asked yourself those same questions at times in your life. Maybe you're asking those same questions now. Today I'd like to look at a passage that I believe shows us a a real true picture of who God is. God the Comforter. And so if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at this passage. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, Together with all his people throughout Ahia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthian church and he's really saying, hey, I'm apostle, I'm writing you. And the Corinthian church is a church that he had planted. We actually know, even though it says 2 Corinthians, we know this isn't actually the second letter. There was a lot of correspondence that went back between he and the Corinthian church he had visited. And the Corinthian church was a, kind of a sore spot for Paul. 
um, because there was a lot of hurt that had come from the Corinthian church. Um, as they, in their own pride, and their own eloquence, often rejected Paul and what, how Paul wanted to love them. And I, I love 2 Corinthians because I do feel like it's almost like a love letter or a, a, a sense of reaching out, almost like a father to his, his teenage children who he feels like they rebelled and they're running away and then all of a sudden they're like, no, we, we do realize that we've hurt you. And he's saying, oh, I want to write you and I want to comfort you. And so that's how we find ourselves coming into this book. Here we see Paul giving praise to God. And what does he say? He says, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. But what kind of father is he? In our lives when we are hurting, when we feel insecurity and chaos, who has us in those moments? And what is that person like? Well, it says that he's a father of compassion. Compassion is a relational term. It's, it's that term that when we are moved by something, we're moved by someone in their circumstance. And Webster's Dictionary defines it as this. The definition of compassion is sympathetic conscientiousness, consciousness of others' distress, together with a desire to alleviate it. With that desire to alleviate it when we see someone in pain. We have that, that sort of physical expression, that physical feeling when we have that sense of compassion. I want to show you a couple pictures of compassion here. Here's a man who says, hey, have a seat. You look tired. I love that image. Let's go to the next one. Here's a police officer, and it's hard to see, but he's handcuffed himself to a woman who wants to jump off and commit suicide, saying, I'm not going to let you fall, that I'm with you as he talks to her, and she comes up off of the ledge. The next one. Here's a moment in a wildfire in Australia where uh, one of the wildfire firefighters finds a koala who survived the fire, and he's using his desire to alleviate them of their distress and their discomfort and giving it water. I love those pictures. He's a God and a Father of compassion, He's compassionate towards us. It says that he's a father, our father God who comforts, who comes alongside us and shows us comfort. But what does this mean when he talks about comfort here? When we often think of comfort, we kind of can get stuck in that cycle of thinking comfort means comfortable, right? We're Americans. We like to be comfortable. But comfort does not necessarily mean comfortable. The Greek passage here in the New Testament, the words are parakaleo and parakalesis. And they come from the, wor- the verb kaleo, meaning to call, and the preposition para, which means alongside of. And so the meaning is to call or summon to one's aid, to call for help, and to stand alongside of. Many of times we've experienced those people who have come alongside of us. We've maybe called out to them, they've come and stood alongside of us but it certainly did not mean that we were comfortable. Often we were very uncomfortable in our pain. See, comfort doesn't necessitate that things are going, that aren't, they aren't going to be hard, painful, or overwhelming. Just as being comfortable doesn't mean that things are going to go well for us and that we will continue to flourish and grow. 
In fact, most, most of us could probably identify that in our lives, in those moments when we have felt like, oh, that is the moment where I experienced incredible transformation and change in my life, often they were actually times of distress, times of discomfort for us. As my dad always used to say to me, son, if you come to a point in your life where you start feeling comfortable, it might be time to move on. Because when we get comfortable, we stop learning and we stop growing. Discomfort doesn't mean that we can't be comforted. We're not comfortable. Here we see God, a Father, who comes alongside of us in our pain and He shows us comfort. And He can't help it because it's in His very nature. There's all sorts of verses in the Old Testament, in the Bible, that talk about the God of compassion and the God of comfort. I'm not going to show you them all, but Paul, in his understanding of who God was, as he's writing to Corinthians, he understood God to be a compassionate God. I love this one. In Isaiah 66, 13, it says, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. God, in his very nature and character, is a compassionate and comforting father. And he gives us this picture of a mother comforting a child. And, and I know that picture well. My wife, Dacia, we have two little little ones, Adric five and Brinley three. And they're going through that time in life where, man, friendships, they're trying to navigate life. It's hard. They get hurt. They're distressed. They come home crying. They stay home crying. And she picks them up in her lap. And she sits with them. And she comforts them. She holds them in their tears. She says, I'm here with you. And she whispers over them the truth that they are loved, that they are seen, and that they're comforted. I love that, that picture that God gives us, because it's in these moments that these passages have talked about that we, can, we have to re-image what God is. For some of us, the image of a parent who's compassionate and comforting is hard for us because we didn't have that growing up. We didn't have that compassionate parent who would look at us in our pain and go, hey, I see you there. I want to come alongside you. I see you in your pain. Maybe we didn't have a parent who could comfort us because they weren't able to deal with the own pain of their own lives and so they drowned it with addiction or with overwork and busyness or they got overwhelmed and they bailed on life and on themselves and us. And so it's hard for us in those moments when we're trying to understand a parent, a father God, who's compassionate and wants to comfort us. But it is in these moments that we have to re-image who God is because he is a compassionate, loving father. We have to believe that he is there for us and with us. Because we have a relational Father God who through Christ brings comfort to those who are suffering and are afflicted. He sees us and out of compassion moves towards us in whatever we might find ourselves going through. Maybe you feel like you haven't felt God in those moments. Maybe it feels like it's too little too late for your pain. Understandably, some of you feel like, man, my pain and my suffering is too large and it's too big, God, for you to enter in and come for me in this space, let alone anyone else. 
But what does this passage say, though, about those times and what we're really going through? When does God comfort us? Let's look back at verse 3 here. It says, The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. In all our troubles, God, really, seriously, in what I'm going through, whether it's abuse, abandonment, whatever it might be, are you serious that you think you are comforting me in all of my troubles because I don't know? But what does Paul here say? What's his example? As we go down and we look at the passage, in verse 8, he gives us a clue of what he means by troubles. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we have experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raised the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul here is in distress. He's feeling that he's not able to endure it. In despair of life itself, Paul literally, he thought that he was going to die in the peril that he was in. Have you ever found yourself in that space? Are you in that space now? Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've experienced the deep grief that comes from a miscarriage. Or the reality of infertility. Maybe you've experienced depression that's so great that it feels like this blanket that is weighing down on you and your life is literally going to slip out of your fingers. Maybe you've had a horrible breakup or a divorce where you feel like you were felt so alone and abandoned. Maybe you are truly facing death itself through injury or illness. But Paul points out here that as we suffer in this world, our hope is in the God of compassion who will comfort and deliver us. That sometimes we have to come to the end of ourselves to realize that we must rely on something outside of ourselves to give us deliverance. It is in this space that we can experience hope and comfort because here we find the God who raised Christ from the dead. Just as God allowed Christ to suffer on the cross and go to the grave, so also he delivered him and raised him from the dead to bring us new life. This means that even in our suffering, it's going somewhere. We can set our hope on him because he has delivered Christ and he will deliver us. And so even though God may not cause the trouble in our lives, He will grow comfort from it. He will take the painful things that we endure and he will help us grow through them. God can take that broken relationship and all the pain that it is and he can transform us in those spaces. He can grow us and help us to know how to walk with others. He offers comfort at all times, in all situations, if we will allow ourselves to receive it. He wants to comfort us. He wants to deliver us. He wants to set our hope, us to set our hopes on Him. And He wants to redeem our pain. And He does this for a reason. 
And we could say, well, why, you know, really, God, why do you comfort us? I mean, it seems like that's the obvious answer, the, the Christian Bible verse answer anyway. Well, God, Jesus loves us, you know. Maybe it's, it's because we recognize that it is his character to love us. It's his, his character to show compassion and comfort as we talked about and saw in those verses, and those are all true things. But there's actually more to it than that. Let's look back at our verses. Verse 4, he comforts us so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. He comforts us so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves received from God. So he not only delivers us, he not only gives us hope, but he redeems our pain. He redeems our suffering and allows us to comfort others. Anytime that we look at passages like this, it can kind of break us open. This becoming series, I don't know about you, but as we're going through it, you can't help but as you're looking back to move forward, you go, man, looking back is hard work. It's painful. It's hard. As I said earlier, there was a time in my life where I was confused and I didn't understand some of the pain that was happening to me through abuse and through rejection. But I, rather than kind of knowing what to do or knowing how to do it, I just stuffed it, as we do. Kind of packed it down. I'm going to be tough enough. I'm not going to let it bother me. I've got to move on. But of course, as most of us know, that those things don't just go away. They come back. And I had a mentor one time who told me, there's one good thing, Ben, that we've learned from horror movies. And I'm like, I hate horror movies. Hate them, absolutely hate them. Haven't even watched hardly any of them because I just can't stand horror movies. I'm like, I don't know what could be true or we could learn from horror. He goes, no, there's one truth that we've learned from horror movies. And he's like, it doesn't matter how many times you bury the monster. If you don't kill it, it's going to come back to haunt you. And isn't that true? If we do not allow God to kill those things in our life, if we don't go back to go, I've got to stop just burying this. I've got to look it in the eyes and I've got to let God destroy that and deliver me from that. And it's going to keep haunting us as it did in my life. And when I came to, to Portland to go to Bible college and, and to go to school here, I, a lot of those old wounds started showing up again. And there's a few people in my life and then on my journey who have really helped me kind of understand these things in real ways. One was a man named Scott Mitchell. He was a, pounce, a pastor and a counselor at a church called Cedar Mill Bible Church. And um, I had met him when I was younger. He was a friend of my grandparents. He was an older guy. He was a pastor, and pastors are kind of boring. Um, and I, I was like, I'm not really interested in hanging out with a pastor. Um, but when I got to Portland, he took me under his wing, and he invited me into his home with his wife, Connie. And, uh, and he pursued me, uh, this young punk skateboarding kid who was really confused about a lot of things. But he kept spending time with me. He really helped me to go back in my life to look at some of those places that were so painful and to try to understand that God loved me and he was there the whole time, that he had never abandoned me, that he was there. He helped me go back to move forward. He spent time with me. He made me feel valued. He comforted me. And he shared with me his own stories of abuse when he was younger and how God had delivered him and that's why he was doing what he was doing. He was an amazing man. He died in 2003, I think, 2004. Um, his son, Jonathan, 
um, was, was he, he loved his son, talked about him all the time, his kids. But Jonathan had his own troubles with addiction. And one, one night, Jonathan came home um, on meth, loaded, and, and Scott wasn't going to let him in the house. And so out of anger, Jonathan took a gun out of his pocket and he smashed the window to try to get into the house and the gun discharged and shot Scott and killed him. It was hard. My friend, my mentor is gone. But I won't ever forget what he poured into my life. I'll never forget. He modeled to me what it meant to come alongside of someone in their pain. I'll never forget that. The second person that had a huge impact on my life was a pastor named Fred. He'd influenced me more in my younger years. I don't think I realized it until later on in his life. He actually died and um, I remember thinking, oh man, it's so sad that he died. I, I don't think I ever really grieved it. But I was going to teach at a school in Texas. And I had, had gone to get some last minute supplies at the store. And I saw this little book. And it was quotes from Fred. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get that book. And so I, you know, read, read. Maybe I'll have some time to read on this trip. And so one night as I was sitting in my room, I opened it up and I started reading these, these passages where he was speaking, sharing many things that I honestly had heard growing up as a young boy and didn't probably recognize how much I resonated with those stories. And I found myself weeping. I'm not a crier. I try to be tough, but in that room by myself, I just let the floodgates open and I was like, it was, it was heaving. Because <laughs> I, I missed him. I was grieving. And I, I want to read you a story. I want to read you a, a passage out of that book that really, I think, reflects what we're talking about here in 2 Corinthians. He says, When I was a kid, I was shy and overweight. I was a perfect target for ridicule. One day, how well I remember that day, and it's more than 60 years ago, we got out of school early and I started to walk home by myself. It wasn't long before I sensed I was being followed by a whole group of boys. As I walked faster, I looked around and they started to call my name. And came closer and closer and got louder and louder. Freddy! Hey, fat Freddy! We're going to get you, Freddy. I resented those kids for not seeing beyond my fatness or my shyness. And I didn't know that it was all right to resent it. To feel bad about it. Even to feel very sad about it. I didn't know what it was, that it was all right to feel any of those things because the advice that I got from grown-ups was just let on like you don't care and then nobody will bother you. What I actually did was mourn. I cried to myself whenever I was alone. I cried through my fingers and as I made up songs on the piano, I sought out stories of other people who were poor in spirit and felt for them. I started to look behind the things that people did and said. And little by little concluded that St. Exupery was absolutely right when he wrote The Little Prince. What is essential is invisible to the eyes. So after a lot of sadness, I began a lifelong search for what is essential. What is it about my neighbor that doesn't meet the eye? Let on you don't care and then nobody will bother you. Those who gave me that advice were well-meaning people. But of course I did care. And somehow along the way, I caught the belief that God cares too. That the divine presence cares for those of us who are hurting. And that presence is everywhere. I don't know exactly how this came to me. Maybe through one of my teachers or the town librarian. Maybe through a musician or a minister. 
Definitely across some holy ground. And of course, it could have come from my grandfather. I was named for Fred McFeely. He used to say to me after we'd had a visit together, Freddie, you made this day a special day for me. My hunch is that the beginning of my belief in the caring nature of God came from all those people. All of those extraordinary, ordinary people who believed that I was more than I thought I was. All those saints who helped a fat, shy kid see more clearly what was really essential. Of course, many of you knew Mr. Rogers, too. He was in your living room growing up, speaking those truths to you. There's so many amazing quotes of people who talk about how they grew up in a home that was chaotic, where there was abuse and there was yelling and fighting all the time and divorce and abandonment. And the only person that they told them every week that they were loved and that they were seen was Mr. Rogers. Because they would turn the TV on and say, you're special to me. I know it's just a TV show. But for Fred, it wasn't a TV show. It was his life. God had met him in his discomfort and his pain and his suffering and said, I want to redeem that in you. Will you let me take that and do something with it? He modeled to me what it meant to come alongside someone in their pain and to allow his pain to be available to God and be redeemed and used by God. I'd like you to hear one more example of how I see this modeled in, in, our, in our lives here at Imago Day. Imago Day, I feel like, has always been a place where we have tried to be a place where people can come and receive compassion and comfort. Receiving is a big part of it, though. For some of us, receiving is a lot harder than giving comfort. They tell me I'm a two on the Enneagram, if you know what that is, and apparently it means that I have a need to be needed. I like to be needed. I like to help people. But it's a lot harder for me to receive comfort when I need it. For some of us, receiving is much harder than giving. And I'd like to have someone share a story about what it looked like to receive here at Imago. Jason, can you come up? Nine years ago, my sister Katie went missing on Mount Hood. She and two of her friends had gone climbing a couple weeks before Christmas, but they didn't return. There was a massive search and rescue operation, but after five nightmarish days of growing fear and dwindling hope, they had to call it off. They weren't able to find and recover her body until about eight months later. She was 29 years old. One day she was healthy and passionate and full of life. And the next day she was gone. And I didn't have a chance to say goodbye. And suddenly there was this huge void, an empty place in my life where she once was. I had never before lost someone close to me. And now my world was shattered and my heart was broken. I was plunged into this vast and dark wilderness of grief. I felt lost. But I wasn't alone. 
I was very fortunate to have a solid community who loved and supported me through it. I had my family and friends, my home community, and the larger community of Imago Day. In particular, my wife, Rabin, and my good friend, Steve, were constant companions through every stage of my journey of grief, and they walked with me. And the Lord, my God, was also a faithful presence. He understood what I was going through, and he was with me in my sorrow. Just a few months before Katie died, I had joined Refuge. I signed up as a group facilitator because I wanted to help people and also learn how to help people better. So I started leading a Genesis process change group. And then after my sister died, part of me felt like bowing out of facilitating and even maybe bowing out of refuge altogether. Because I felt like I was in a place where I didn't really have much to offer anymore. A part of me was simply afraid, afraid of opening up and being vulnerable with my own grief. To what extent was I willing to share my pain with people that I was just beginning to know? How far was I willing to let them in? How much was I willing to receive the help and comfort that they could offer me? But on a deeper level, I knew that refuge could be a good place for me to receive additional comfort and a place for me to experience greater healing. Refuge could be just what I needed. But I had to resist that urge to withdraw and try to cope on my own. Instead, I needed to immerse myself in a community of love and support. And over time, that's exactly what refuge came to be for me. It was a safe place for me to honestly express my thoughts and feelings. It was a place where I felt like I belonged to a community of hurting people that were seeking together to move toward hope and healing in Jesus. After my experience of grieving with my Genesis group, I felt like I still had more grief work to do. So Raven and I decided to start leading the first grief group at Refuge. And we continued with it for two more cycles before I felt like I had finally emerged from the wilderness and had come out the other side. At that point, I felt like I had become more reconciled to my loss and was ready to move forward in life with a renewed sense of wholeness. The tears of Jesus at the tomb of his friend Lazarus were a very special comfort to me during this time and a balm to my grieving heart. For I saw Jesus overcome with grief at the loss of his friend. His heart was broken, for he deeply loved Lazarus. And I believe that in a similar way, Jesus wept over my sister Katie, for he loved her deeply too, and still loves her with a love that is stronger than death. I also experienced Jesus comforting me like he comforted Lazarus's sister Mary. Jesus came alongside me and put his arm around me. He entered into my pain 
and wept with me. He understood what I was going through, and he listened to me as I poured out my heart to him. In his wisdom, Jesus knew what I needed at each moment of my journey. Such amazing tenderness, such compassion. My journey through the wilderness of grief changed me. By God's grace, instead of becoming harder, my heart became softer. I became more understanding and compassionate, more patient and empathetic with others, more honest and willing to be vulnerable, and wiser in the ways of loving and helping people. I received deep comfort over those years, and in turn, God enabled me to extend comfort to others and their various experiences of grief and loss. So now I can stand here and say, praise be to the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. Thank you, Jason. Jason allowed himself to receive the comfort from others. I remember that time when he was in that group. Part of the story that I love, even I, we haven't even talked about this, I don't think, but one of the guys that was in that group, he really, part of, the, part of the ministry to him was the fact that the guy that was supposed to run the group and comfort him allowed himself to receive it. And it was transformative for him to get to also be a comforter in that group. The God of comfort delivers us. He gives us hope and he redeems our pain. And from that space, we can come alongside others in their pain. We can allow our pain to be available to God, to be redeemed, and we can become wounded healers. To be there, we need to be able to receive from the compassionate Father and from one another. Can you receive it? Can you receive it? As we come to the table, I want to look at verse 5. It says here, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Now Paul here is not talking about the sufferings of Christ in the sense of the cross that was Christ to bear. But what he's talking about as those of us who received Christ and are longing to be imitators of Christ in this world, we are going to face suffering. Jesus was mocked and rejected, spat upon. And we will experience suffering in this world as Christ followers. But in Christ, comfort abounds. Right? It abounds through Christ to us. See, in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we are included in the family of God. Which means that everything that the Heavenly Father is for Jesus, He is for us. Everything that He is and was for Jesus, He is for us. Because He loves us. And He sees us. So we come to this table 
And can we as a community stay at this table together and comfort each other, continue to receive and to give comfort as God gives to us? Can we allow God to redeem those painful experiences in our lives and comfort others as they are going through similar circumstances? Maybe this means reaching out to someone who's struggling with something that you've struggled with and comforting them and supporting them. Maybe it means just sitting with somebody who's grieving, who's lamenting, not saying anything, not having any answers, just being with them so they know they're not alone. Maybe it's coming alongside of some of our kids in IDK, in our youth group, remembering what it was like for us as kids as we tried to navigate the difficulties of life and saying, I want to be a friend to one of these kids. I want to pour into them, just like Mr. Rogers did. Can we receive the comfort that God wants for us through his community and through Christ? Maybe this means allowing yourself to join a home community group or refuge and saying, I'm going to try to allow people to journey with me in my story and to open myself up to that. Maybe it's working to allow that hard exterior in your life that you're saying, I'm, I'm going to tough it out. I can make this. I don't need to receive anything. I can make it through the hard times. I just have to push through. Maybe it's allow that to crack, allowing God to strip that away, allowing it to fall so that you can actually be seen and loved by each other and your community. Because allowing them to comfort you is a gift to them. Allowing them to get to be image bearers to be as Christ is to us so that they can comfort you. Maybe for you it's actually opening yourself up to Christ. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God and maybe you're sitting here this morning going, man, I, I, I would long to have a comforting God like that that really knows me. I want to believe. And I would ask you this morning that you would just consider, would you be open to receiving the free gift that Jesus wants to give you of his blood and his life? Because God loves you and he wants to comfort you. And so as we come to this table together as a community, let's remember that this is not our table. This is Jesus' table. And at times when it's hard to stay at the table with each other, just remember that he will always be at the table. He's not going anywhere. He wants to be there to comfort us, to receive us. Can we talk with him? Can we share? Can we lament as Chelsea shared last week? Can we come and participate in his life that he wants to give us? Allowing it to deliver us, to give us hope, and to redeem it in how we love each other. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, I'm so grateful for the chance just to, to share this morning to talk about the reality of your love for us. God, we thank you that you are a Father who is compassionate and comforting towards us. I thank you that in our lives, Lord, when we have those painful times and those suffering moments that you choose not to waste our pain, but you redeem it. You deliver us. You allow us to look to you for hope and you redeem that pain so that we can love and pour that life out to others. I thank you, Jesus, that you give freely to all who will participate and partake in who you are. Give us the courage, Lord, to face those hard things in our life, to go back at times in order for us to be able to go forward. Help us to open ourselves up to you and all that you want to be for us. 
We thank you and we love you. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.